Our topic tonight, another important topic as we are discussing last day events and now as we're moving into these last chapters, it's going to focus f more and more on these last uh, events that are going to be taking place in Earth's history. And so we're going to be looking today at Revelation chapter 13, the second beast power mentioned in Revelation 13. There are two beast powers. Last week we looked at the first one, very important topic. And it's important to understand the first one before we get into the second one. And so if you've missed that, um, it'd be important to, to get that and, and, and to watch that. Um, and we'll do a little review here, but again, to get the whole pack picture and to get the full understanding of that. Um, the, uh, as it talks about these beast powers, beast is not necessarily beastly. Not necessarily describing something monstrous. It's just that's the word to describe uh, this type of animal, or uh, God, the Revelation talks about beasts surrounding God's throne, just a, a certain type of animals or description of beings that we don't have here on earth that he's not able to readily describe. Now, as it describes these various different beasts in Revelation, uh, again, the main, remember the focus of Revelation, the focus of the Bible is not the beasts, right? So the focus is, is Yeshua the Messiah, right? It's the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah. And so while this is an important chapter, it is only one chapter within the whole chapter, within the whole book of Revelation, which is within the whole book of the Bible. And so again, we don't want to make this the primary. That's why it's in chapter 13 and not in chapter 1. Uh, and it's not the revelation of the beast or the second beast. It's the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah. So we need to always keep that uh, important and for, foremost in our minds. Okay, so let's do a little review of this first beast power, starting in Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. Then I saw in the sand of the sea, and I, I stood in the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, right? So this first beast comes up out of the sea. That's going to be important, right? So it comes up out of the sea, and what does this sea represent? We saw from Revelation chapter 17, verse 15, the waters which you saw are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues, right? And so these beasts, beasts represent kingdoms. So like in Daniel 7, each of those four beasts represent a different kingdom, nation, uh, power. And, uh, and so this, uh, this beast this comes up out of the seas. It comes up out of, an area, out of an area of the world where there are lots of people, multitudes of people, many different languages, and many different nations all within that area. And that's a good hint of who this power is, or one hint, one description. Then verse 3, and I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. So this power has a big influence for a long period of time, and then it receives a mortal wound. Just as Yeshua, this is a counterfeit or a copy, uh, Yeshua received a mortal wound, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast just as Yeshua's mortal wound was healed and he was resurrected, and all the world, all the universe will follow him. Every knee shall bow before him. And so here's a counterfeit. His, this beast power is the deadly wound gets healed, and he receives a worldwide following on this earth for a time. And they worship the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? So just like Yeshua, it's a religious power, a worship power, a power that has to do with worship, but it's still also a beast, so it's still also a nation. So it's a nation, a religious nation, a religio-political power. And it says, who is like the beast? And we have a saying, 
uh, from the Bible, who is like unto thee, O Lord our God. Mika moka bolim adonai. Uh, and so here's kind of the counterfeit again. Who is like the beast? The world says, who is like this? Who could be like this? So as these beast powers, again, they're not um, ugly, that, it, that, that people run from it. The people are being drawn to it. All the world worship it. All the world comes to it. All the world exalt it and say, who is like? This is magnificent. This is a wonderful, wonderful power. This is a wonderful, wonderful um, organization. So it's, it's who is like this? In adoration, in marvel, of this, of this power. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. Now, blasphemies is not only against God, but blasphemy can be in place of God, right? So the anti-Messiah, it's not necessarily against the Messiah, at least not openly and outwardly, but anti-being in place of, like antibiotics. They're not against your body, they work in place of your body to fight off uh, sickness. And so uh, the anti-Messiah stands in place of, he tries to stand in place of speaking great things, boastful things, proud things, and blasphemies. And we saw some definitions of blasphemy from the Bible, to claim to be able to forgive sins, to be God. Um, and so this power does so, and we saw that uh, last week. Here's another uh, Quote that we didn't look at last week, just another adding to it. There's so many. Uh, he is the infallible ruler, the supreme judge of heaven and earth, the judge of all, being judged by no one, God himself on earth. Now, that sounds like it's talking about Yeshua, but it's not. In t context, in this New York Catechism, Catholic book, the Catechism, it's describing the Pope and describing him that he is infallible, and that he's the supreme judge of heaven and earth. Judge over all, being judged by no one, God himself on earth. And so there we get, again, this definition of blasphemy. And we saw this power fitting all of these uh, points and all of these clues that the Bible gives us. In Daniel 7, the same power. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws. So it persecutes God's saints, wears out the saints. And, uh, and we, we see that in history. Um, this is a statue on your left here of uh, the uh, founder of the Jesuit order. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Jesuit order, the, the current pope um, is of the Jesuit order, uh, first pope to be so. And he's there standing holding a book of the Jesuit uh, constitution or whatever they call it, but the the, the decrees of the, of the Jesuits. But he's standing, if you notice, he's standing on a man, crushing the man, stepping on the man who's holding a Bible. The Jesuits above this, and their job is to stamp out heresies, stamp out those who are holding to the Bible over and above the traditions of man. And, uh, and that's what they felt called to do. Uh, to, to stamp out heresy as they saw it, any opposition to the Pope or to the papacy, that was their job. So very interesting history of the Jesuits. And then again, we have uh, the several, I saw this uh, picture at the Holocaust Museum uh, here in Florida, Florida Holocaust Museum, and uh, of a man being tortured by the uh, Church of the Dark Ages and put on a wheel and hung upside down and uh, over fire, over flames, over smoke, 
uh, various tortures that they did, horrible tortures that, uh, that occurred throughout the Dark Ages. So wearing out the saints in the Most High, certainly a, uh, a description of this power. Some historians agree with that. The Church of Rome has shed more innocent blood than any other institution that ever existed will be questioned by no one who has a competent knowledge of history. Anyone who knows any history knows that this has been a persecuting power, wearing out the saints, uh, religious power, persecuting other people of religion because they don't agree with it. And uh, again, more than any other. It is estimated by careful and credible historians that more than 50 million of the human family have been slaughtered from the, for the crime of heresy by popish persecutors. That's an amazing number. A large number. Again, more than any other institution that has ever existed. So historians understand this clearly and see this. It's a little hard for us to see today because not so evident now, but looking at history, over a long period of time, many, many millions of atrocities taking place. More, the church may by divine right, this is from the public uh, ecclesiastical, again a Catholic uh, publication, the church may by divine right confiscate the property of heretics, imprison their per persons, and condemn them to the flames. The right to inflict the severest penalties, even death, belongs to the church. And some of the tortures that were done in the basement of churches and by this form of Christianity, the, the papal Roman Catholic Church, they hanged people and cut their genitals out. Women's breasts were ripped off. They tied people up and fried them in large pans. Their mouths were sewn shut. They were placed into a pot of boiling water. Their arms and their legs were cut off, and some had their eyes bored out. Horrible atrocities. you imagine having your mouth sewn up? As you can't eat, can't drink, and to starve and die that way. Horrible. Horrible things. Or any of these other things. All horrible. Horrible things. And uh, again, not done by, um, done by religious people, professed religious people, professing to do God's service. And that's part of what we have to see. Again, these descriptions here, not talking about individuals, but this system as a whole, what it has done over a long period of time, over, over a thousand years. Uh, and so we're not looking at any one individual. We're talking uh, about 1,500 years of this going on. Um, not the entire time, so not every pope, not every individual, not every bishop, not every... Um, Cardinal, they very easily can be some, many of them saved individually. Again, even up to the popes, it's not for us to question or condemn them as individuals, but looking at the actions as the institution as a whole, it has done these things. It's done many good things as well. There, there have been um, hospitals and schools and humanitarian aid and disaster relief all done, organizations, anti-abortion organizations, many uh, organizations that fall under the Catholic uh, Church and have done, again, many, many wonderful, great things. Many great people 
within that organization who are not necessarily familiar with all that has been done in history uh, or the, um, the tenets uh, of the organization. Uh, and again, so it's not for us or any human to condemn or judge any individual. Uh, we're just looking at the system as a whole, the beast as a whole, just as we looked at Babylon was described as the first beast power in, in, in Daniel chapter 7. Uh, and Babylon, uh, the king Nebuchadnezzar becomes a believer, right? So, and saved. So, uh, even as it's describing these institutions, it's just describing where their role and place in history is, not about individual people and their play or their salvation or non salvation. That's not what it's about. It's just to help us know where we are in history and, and to be aware of these things and to take note of them and to not get wrapped up in the fallacies that go along with it, the falsehoods that go along with it, to be able to discern truth from error and make right decisions for ourselves, again, not to condemn other people. Okay, Daniel chapter 7, it said to wear out the saints, verse 25, and of the Most High God, and we saw that, and to think to change times and laws. And we saw a quote from, from this church that said that it had the power to change times and laws, but now another quote a different one that we didn't look at last week says something similar from the Catholic record uh, from September 1st, 1923. Again, a Catholic publication. Sunday is our mark of authority. The church is above the Bible. And this transfer of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. So saying they have the power above the Bible to change God's laws and times and laws pertaining to time that they have changed the transference of the Sabbath uh, is that something that they claim that they have done. So again, for fitting these different things, and we looked at 10 different clues, and so came up out of Rome, came out of the Roman Empire. Yes, the uh, Roman Catholic Church came right up out of the Roman Empire um, at a time when three other nations were knocked out, three nations that were opposing it, and when that third one was knocked out, the Emperor Justinian, um, anointed the Bishop of Rome to be over that portion of the Roman Empire, starting its power, starting its reign. Uh, it persecutes Bible believers. We looked at that. Verse number four claims to forgive sins. Uh, the, 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 um, we've seen some of that. And the power of God, we just saw a quote on that. Things to change God's law pertaining to time, we just saw that. Rules for 1,260 years. From, so from that time when that power, the third nation was rooted out, and received again the, uh, the declaration from the emperor going in 1,260 years, takes us a time when it loses its power, has its power throughout that time, and then all of a sudden loses its power by uh, the uh, Napoleon sending in his general Berthier to capture the Pope, put him into captivity, into prison, and then uh, taking the Vatican city-state uh, captive and taking away its power and its influence for a time, because then it regains its power and receives a worldwide following and impact. It's a religious political power, we've seen that. And the number of his name equals 666. So now the very next verse from where we left off, that was all just review. And again, if you missed that, maybe uh, you know review that before we go on anymore and get the fullness of, of that whole lesson. Uh, but that's where that verse left off, and now it moves into the second beast power, but first says in verse 10, Revelation 13, verse 10, he who leads into captivity 
must go into captivity. And as we discussed, Napoleon taking the Pope captive and putting him into captivity. And again, the amazing thing is God wrote this, had John write this, over a thousand years before it took place. In 1798, that's when it takes place. So 17, almost 1700 years later, as God predicted, it would lose its power at the end of 1,260 years. And interesting, it says, he who leads into captivity, this power that was imprisoning people, putting them in dungeons and torturing them, and, and um, it also would then go into captivity and be put in a prison and put in a dungeon and had its power taken away. The Bible is so accurate. Absolutely amazing, the accuracy of the Bible to see these things and to describe it for us ahead of time. So using that, now this comes to the time of this second beast being introduced. So it comes up, the second power comes up at around this time when this first power, this first beast, this first nation, this religious nation, goes into captivity. Okay, so that's our bridge verse. And then verse 11 starts on this second beast. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. So it comes up out of the earth at a time about the same time when that first power went into captivity. So somewhere around the late 1700s, another nation comes up into being out of an area that's described out of the earth. The first beast came up out of the sea, and the sea, the waters represent a multitude of people, nations, languages. So this power comes up out of an area that is not highly populated, that is sparsely populated, that doesn't have multitudes of nations, that doesn't have multitudes of languages, in contrast, relatively. And so it comes up, this new beast comes up out of the earth or out of a sparsely populated area of the world. So that's one clue, or second clue, that it comes up around in the 1700s, and second clue that it comes up out of a sparsely populated place of the earth. And similar in Revelation 12, verse 16, which again, we did that, and if, and if you missed that, it's on Shalom Adventure, uh, or available at uh, shalomadventure.com, it'll be available that, uh, to see that sermon on chapter 12. But there again, we have a power coming up out of the earth that helped the woman. The woman was being persecuted, God's people were being persecuted by a flood of persecution that was coming from, mostly from the papacy, but also the Church of England and other groups, persecuting people from being able to follow the Bible according to the dictates of their conscience. And so if they wanted to follow the Bible, if they did not, were not part of the nation religion, national religion, again, whether England, the Church of England, or other places under Lutheranism, or, or uh, Catholicism, or various other different, then they had no place to worship because they had to go to that church that your nation designated. Each nation basically was um, supporting and supporting and encouraging and endorsing a religion and persecuting anyone who was not of that and prohibiting the free exercise of any other religion within their country. And sometimes it would change depending on who was king or queen of England. Right? And so you had uh, uh, queens that were Protestant, then you had uh, like uh, Mary, Queen of Scots, come in and she rules over and she makes it Catholic, right? Bloody Mary. And she, puts through her persecutions. Uh, and then so it constantly switched back and forth, some of the nations. 
So, this, so there's persecutions coming from all sides, and so a nation comes up, a power comes up, described as the earth, an area not very populated, that swallows up the persecution and helps God's people. Same power. Revelation 13, verse 11, I saw then another beast coming up out of the earth who had two horns like a lamb. And so two more clues. This power is like a lamb. Lamb through Revelation and Bible as a whole, representing the Messiah, the uh, sacrificial lamb, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And so this power is lamb-like in its character, in its principles, in that it follows. And that's why it was used to swallow up the flood of persecution, because it's a, a power that believes in religious liberty and freedom and... and um, free choice, and so lamb-like, godly-like, um, biblical principled, and two horns, horns representing like a king, a monarch. Well, this has a two-horn power, and it's a divided power that has two horns that uh, rule over this uh, institution. Okay, so there's some more clues. And he causes that no one may be able to buy or sell. So this power becomes such a big power and such a financial powerhouse in the world that it is able to uh, dictate who can buy or sell. What do we call that in, in, in political circles? A nation that, in, that imposes someone cannot buy or sell. What do we call that? Happens all the time. Sanctions. Yep, sanctions, right? So a nation will sanction another nation or put tariffs on imports of another nation, right? So saying you can't buy, you can't sell unless you meet this criteria, unless you do these things, right? And so it has the ability to do that and uses that. That's what the Bible's predicting. Again, hundreds and hundreds of years in advance that a power will be so influential that it'll be able to do that. Restrict buying and selling. So some of the clues, it comes up out of the earth, an area with almost no people. And it's lamb-like, that it's godly, it's built on biblical principles that it protects believers from religious persecution, that it comes up towards the end of the 1700s, and then it has power to impose sanctions, and also that it's a two-horned power, a two-balancing uh, power type of a system. Okay? So, what nation of the earth fits this description? What place of the earth in the late 1700s comes up, swallows up the flood of persecution, was coming out of Europe that uh, provides a safe haven for believers who want to follow the Bible according to the dictates of their conscience or not follow the Bible or anyone who wants to believe however they want to believe that um, that is lamb-like, that is built on biblical principles, that has two balancing powers within it that, um, forget some of the other quotes, oh, that comes up out of the earth, that's unpopulated area uh, of the earth and his power to impose sanctions. What nation fits that description? What do you think? North America, more than just North America. North America is broad, but uh, in particular, the United States. USA, that's right, the USA, the United States of America. That's right. And so it has done this, it worked marvelously uh, protecting God's people down through the ages. There might not be a Jewish nation again today if it wasn't for the United States of America giving freedom 
uh, for Jewish people to have synagogues and to come and to immigrate to this wonderful country and to have a place where Jews would, would not die through the Holocaust. Uh, there'd be almost no, no Jews if all the Jews were still stuck in Europe, if the United States wasn't there. And then the United States helping to win the war, World War II, and the United States helping for the Israel to be established in the UN vote and other assistance that the United States has given to Israel in its wars and over the years. So yes, it's been a wonderful uh, institution and protecting lamb-like, giving religious freedom to Protestants and other groups and all groups in, uh, in helping the, the Bible to spread. Bible is, more missionaries come out of the United States than any other country. The Bible is distributed out of the United States, printed in the United States, and distributed and translated into more languages out of the United States than from any other country. The United States has been used in marvelous ways as a blessing, and again, based on biblical principles. And certainly it was an area that uh, was not very populated and when it came up into being. And as we read in Revelation 12, verse 16, the serpent spewed water out of its mouth like a flood after the woman, but the earth helped the woman in, and so the pilgrims and others fled Europe and came to the United States, or what would become the United States, the earth area, this uh, unpopulated area, sparsely populated anyway, and, uh, and established a place of freedom, freedom for all. The Constitution was written in 1789, very close to the date when when uh, he who leads into captivity went into captivity. So when that mortal wound took place over the papacy, the time when the United States was becoming established with its constitution. And the constitution that we have is a timeless document that is absolutely amazingly written, has passed the test of times and does not need to change and gives wonderful protections uh, Quotes, uh, it mentions our creator, that we are endowed with rights given to us by our creator, does not deny God, does not force God upon the people, but doesn't mean just because it doesn't force God or endorse one religion over another, doesn't mean it needs to be a godless institution, a godless nation. It can be a godly nation and still give religious freedom to atheists as well as all other religions or any religion. And that's what the United States has done for over 200 years because of our great Constitution. And one of the uh, articles in the Constitution, one of the amendments, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. An amazing concept that wasn't thought of in Europe and was being done just the opposite in Europe and is still just the opposite in most countries of the world today. Over 80% of the people who live on the earth today do not have this basic right, the freedom to establish and exercise their religion of their choosing. It is not over under a government that establishes one religion over other religions and persecutes all others, prohibits all others. We are very, very fortunate to be in this great land, in this great country that I believe God has established and God predicted in the Bible and Mentions it. Doesn't it make sense that the United States of America that does these wonderful things for God's people would be in the Bible? Especially as we've seen, one of the principles of understanding Daniel and Revelation is that these prophecies cover 
areas of the earth where God's people are, where the Bible is being shared. We've seen that throughout it. It starts in Israel, and then Paul takes the gospel up to Asia, and what becomes Europe, and that's where then the Bible prophecies go. And then when it becomes a persecuting power and no longer open to the gospel, then God brings it to the United States. So that just makes sense that that's where the Bible flow would go of these prophecies, because that's what we've seen all throughout. It's not that God doesn't care about or doesn't like people in North Korea, but it just it wasn't, it hasn't been a place where the Bible has spread and where, um, where the many Bible-believing people live. And the same with many other countries that are not mentioned in these prophecies. China, Russia, and all these other places. The Bible is following, the prophecies are following. The whole Bible as a whole is not the history of the world, nor is it the history of God. It's only the history of God's interaction with people who are open and receptive to him. That's what the Bible's about. And so it covers in the prophecies the major parts of the world where that is being done. People are open and receptive to God and to his word. And so the United States should certainly be in Bible prophecy, and so certainly it is, for over 200 years filling this role of this lamb-like power, giving religious freedom to all, swallowing up the persecutions and uh, enacting its right of the Constitution to provide freedom to the people. Now, I guess I should say also with this that it has these two horns. We didn't look at that aspect. The two horns of, the, of this power could be several things. Uh, the two horns could be that it's a... Um, uh, throughout our history, we've had two parties, a two-party system in our government. You look at Israel today, they got over sometimes over 20 parties that try and run for, for government. Uh, and other, in Europe, too, there are many uh, parties that run in, in countries. We're here for all these 200 years, even though we're a bigger country, more people than, than Israel or some of these other countries of the world, and yet all we've had is two parties in the, in the history, for the most part, basically two parties. And there's independence, some other green once in a while. But for the most part, it's basically a two-party system. Uh, Republicans and Democrats today are the two parties. And so that could be what it's describing, these two uh, horns of this power. Or it could also be the two sides of Congress, the House and the Senate balancing each other out, uh, or it could be the two aspects of that neither prohibiting nor establishing nor prohibiting religion, so that uh, you have the religion, neither pope nor king, that we have uh, religion has its part, that has its play, that has its freedom, and government has its part to play in people's lives, in protecting the nation um, from enemies and, and other type of aspects that's important roles of the government, and then religion has its role apart from the government. So that could be the two horns, the two horn power, not one horn, a, 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 a king that his religion is then the religion of the land. So any one of those three aspects or maybe something else would fit this description, but any of them certainly fit that this kingdom, this nation has been two horned in any one of those aspects applying and fitting. So this is the great history of the United States of America. But the Bible prophecy doesn't end there. The Bible prophecy continues on, and just as the Bible prophecy has been faithful all the way through, from the first beach description to its everything else from Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, to Rome divided up, to 
Islam in Bible prophecy to the United States in Bible prophecy. And now it takes us to this next thing that hasn't taken place yet. Everything else has. We're down to the very end. And so some last words in this prophecy, like some of the, there's the last five verses of Daniel 11, not yet fulfilled. We're now coming towards the end of some things that have not yet been fulfilled. And these next words describing what will take place soon hereafter, not taking place yet. We're now getting into, we've looked historically at what's taken place before us. And now this next part of this verse is going to take us prophetically into the future of what will happen next. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, having two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. At some point in time, this wonderful nation, our nation, the United States of America, that has been so wonderful, that has been like a lamb, built on godly principles of freedom and free choice and rights of all and rights endowed by our Creator, will somehow change dramatically and speak like a dragon. Shocked. How could that possibly happen? How could this nation ever speak like a dragon? When we look at Germany not too long ago, there was religious freedom there. Jews and other people had lots of freedom, lots of rights. Jehovah Witnesses, homosexuals, all different kinds of people and groups were there and living there and as doctors, lawyers, of, of occupations of all ranks, all parts of society. And then overnight, a new power comes in, a new ruler, and everything drastically changed rapidly. And that is what the Bible is predicting. And we can imagine with some of the voices that we're hearing speaking strongly in this country today on how they'd like to transform and change this country. And if they were in power, came to power, one election can easily change things dramatically. What happened in Venezuela? One election changed that country radically, quickly, from being one of the economic powerhouses of the world to being in total poverty, from having freedoms, not necessarily as great as the United States, but having more freedoms to horrible oppression today. Overnight, things can change. And that is what the Bible is predicting for this great nation. And we shouldn't be surprised when the Bible talks about a time of trouble such as the world has never seen that would take place over throughout the whole world where Yeshua says that if all who live godly in Yeshua the Messiah will suffer persecution. Where Yeshua said that if they've done this to me, they will do it to you. The Bible talks about them thinking they're doing God's service, yet kicking us out of our congregations and condemning us to death, we should not be surprised that this leader of the free world would have to go along with and be a part of having those Bible prophecies, last day events taking place. They really wouldn't be able to take place without 
the United States' approval. But the place that we play, this country plays in the UN and world influence. The Bible is predicting a time when a change will take place in this lamb-like nation. And it will become like a dragon. How does a nation speak? Speaks like a dragon? Spoke like a dragon? How does it do that? How does any nation speak? How does any nation make its voice known, its opinion known? By its laws. Laws will be established. Things will change. The Constitution will be undermined. So the Bible's predicting. I haven't seen it yet, thankfully. But a time is coming where things will change. And how does the dragon speak? Dragon is a persecuting power. Verse 12, still Revelation 13, after he speaks like a dragon, he causes all who dwell on the earth to worship the first beast. Causes all. What's another word that's interchangeable with causes? It causes someone to do something. What's another word that you can put in there? Compels. Yes. Makes. Forces. Right? That's dragon-like speech. That was the persecution that the pilgrims and others ran away from. This forced, compelling of worship. And again, lamb-like, freedom of worship. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Free choice taken away. Constitution undermined. Especially under religion. Not establish a religion, but now it's saying that it's going to establish one religion. It's going to cause all to worship and go along with the dictates of the first beast power. I don't want to be shocked in the United States, especially with its founding. Let's look at some of the history of the United States. Could it ever join forces with the Vatican, with the papacy? Here in this previous picture, anyone know what building is in on, uh, that is on your right-hand side? Anyone recognize that? Not the White House. <clears throat> Congress. Where Congress is. White House is where the president lives. Right? That's where Congress meets. Capitol Hill. And how about the building on the left? The Vatican. They look similar? Isn't that interesting? How about this one? Same two buildings. Both of them have a obelisk. The Washington Monument on the right-hand side. And in Vatican Square, a very similar structure in front of it. So similarities, interestingly enough. Masonic influence, interestingly enough. When we look at it, the United States history, especially in relation to Catholicism, this is uh, about uh, something that took place in 1852. When Pope Pius IX in 1852 sent a block of marble to be included in the Washington Monument, mass protests were conducted, and two years later, the irate Americans dragged it into the Potomac River. Now, I'm not saying this is good or not good. This is just history. But it tells us a little bit of the thinking of Americans back in the 1800s. 
where they would not even take a block of a rock, a stone, a chiseled stone from the Vatican, a gift from the Vatican. They would not accept it. Mass protests over this rock. No, we don't want anything to do with it. We don't want a gift from that power. Nothing. Nothing. And so they set it aside. All right, the people calmed down. Two years later, the people hadn't forgotten about that rock and still not trusting they're going to pull that rock back in here. They dump it in the river. That's the mindset. And again, we can say, well, that's pretty horrible. What, you know, kind of prejudice. But again, if we understand, they knew and were familiar with not long before this, the persecutions that were taking place in Europe. In the 1850s, people could have still been alive from when the persecuting power in Europe was torturing people. And so they had this knowledge this memory of history, this knowledge of history, and did not trust that power, did not want that influence in the United States. This is a, a picture that was in a paper, Harper's Weekly, uh, from 1871. They're fearing the influence on the schools. Here's a teacher protecting these children, a public school in the background there, and in the Vatican in the background. And then coming up out of the sea is these, looks like uh, alligators or crocodiles, but it's, you look at it, it's, it's popes with their, with the miter on, the hat on. And so depicting them as alligators trying to come in and destroy the children coming across the sea, coming up out of the sea and influencing public school systems. And so the fear that was taking place and again, not promoting or saying this was a good cartoon or a good way to depict it or, you know, or nice at all. I'm not endorsing that. Just saying this is the mindset of Americans back in that time. And maybe again with some good reason, knowing the history of what they came out of, what they fled from. But then the, the wound was healed, as was written in the San Francisco Chronicle. The Roman question tonight is a thing of the past. And the Vatican was at peace with Italy in affixing the autographs to the memorable document, Healing the Wound. Extreme cordiality was displayed on both sides. That was in February 11th, 1929. Now, I don't know if the writer of that newspaper had read Revelation and read chapter 13 and knew that it applied to this power, but he uses the exact words out of Revelation 13 that this power's wound would be healed. And he saw this signing this document, this giving it back its power, a healing of its wound that it received from when Italy, or France rather, I guess Napoleon, took its power away. Now, Italy is giving back its power in 1929. But even then, things were slow in changing, because we have in 1951, when President Harry Truman, on October 20th, 1951, asked the Senate to approve his nomination of an ambassador to the state of the Vatican City. Protests took place, and hardly a Protestant church failed to express opposition. So Truman withdrew his proposal. So here again, it's, we see it's a state, it's a nation, the Vatican state is wanting to put an ambassador to this nation state, this religious nation state. And 
hardly a Protestant church failed to protest it. Because that's what they were. They were Protestants. They were protesters. They were protesting the papacy, protesting the Catholic Church. That's why Protestants, Luther, Calvin, Wesley, Jerome, all of them, the Anabaptists, all of them down through the ages, all the Protestant reformers, all the Protestant denominations began and protest of the teachings and the atrocities that took place as a result of the papacy. So they were protesting the Catholic Church. That's why they're called protestant, protestants, protestants. And so in 1951, how, how many people were here were alive in 1951? All right, yeah, so not that long ago, right? At least you don't consider it long ago, right? <laughs> not that long ago, right? That all the Protestant churches, almost hardly anyone missing, all protested that. No, 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 we're not going to give an ambassador to that country. We're not going to give an ambassador to the Vatican. No way. No way. And so much protesting that he withdraws the idea. That's not until 30 years later, over 30 years later, when Ronald Reagan does appoint an ambassador to the Vatican. Again, the slow movement, slow change in, in mindset. And again, I'm not saying this was good, not good, that they protested that. That's not what we're discussing. That's not the issue. That's not our opinion on that. It's not the, but I'm just getting at the, the tenant or the feelings in America for so long. Even all the way to 1951, there's strong opposition, and yet the Bible is predicting that the second beast is going to endorse the first beast. That's the point I'm getting at. That's what I'm driving at. How could that possibly be? And the interpretation of this second beast power as the United States of America, people have been interpreting it that way for well over 100 years, 150 years or more. Uh, and back in that day, for someone to interpret it that way, everyone goes, you're nuts. The United States is going to endorse this, this, the, the papacy? No way. Never, never, never. But they stuck to their interpretation because they were basing it on one step leading to another. And it's easier for us to see today. But they stood by their guns and believed it. So then Ronald Reagan comes along again on February 10th, 1984, meets with the Pope, ambassador is assigned there, and their meeting is written up, and the, the, the events are written up in Time Magazine, cover article, Holy Alliance, the name of the article, how Reagan and the Pope conspired to assist Poland's solidarity movement and hasten the demise of communism. So they're working together, United States and the Vatican working together, leaders of both countries coming together, working together to bring down communism. And again, I'm not saying that's good, bad, wrong, right, that they did that. You know, again, we could say, well, bringing down the USSR, bringing down communism was a good thing, and that's fine. Uh, again, that's not the issue we're discussing tonight. We're just discussing history of the change taking place that the United States went from, well, freedom of religion and freedom to all religions, the people still understood the history of what took place and why and the doctrines and were against it. And so now we're seeing an alliance taking place to where the Bible is predicting the United States will endorse and more than just endorse, fully encourage people to follow 
the dictates and teaching of Catholicism. And we'll get more into that another week. So this, from this article, some of the things it says is, only President Ronald Reagan and Pope John Paul II were present in the Vatican Library on Monday, June 7, 1982. It was the first time the two had met and they talked for about 50 minutes in the same wing of the papal apartments. Also, this cardinal and this archbishop and the secretary of state and, and a judge and Ronald Reagan's national security advisor also met, and most of their discussion focused on Israel's invasion of Lebanon in its second day. And Haig told them Prime Minister Menachem Begin had assured him that the invasion would not go more than 40, meters, or 40 kilometers inside Lebanon. Now, why are these two powers talking about Israel? Why are these two powers? Why is the Vatican, why is this religious political power, small little country, a few acres big, discussing Israel? Why are they only got 50 minutes together? Why is that such an important topic for them to discuss Israel? Why do they want to know what's going on in Israel? Why do they want an assurance from the United States that they're not going to go too far into Lebanon? That's just kind of an interesting thing. Then it goes on. In the meeting, Reagan and the Pope agreed to undertake a clandestine campaign to hasten the, delusion, uh, uh, the dissolving of the communist empire. One of the earliest goals of the president, Reagan says, was to recognize the Vatican as a state and make them an ally. And so that was one of his earliest goals, and he went about and he did it. Made him an ally in this bringing down the USSR and uh, dividing that up and appointing an ambassador to it. Healing the wound even further. And now today, again, in contrast to 1951, in contrast to the 1800s, Pope comes to the United States and is lauded with multitudes in the streets. Look on street corner, on lampposts, the United States flag and the Vatican flag. I don't think they do that for, I've never seen them do it for any other country. Someone comes and put the country's flag and the United States flag together on all the street posts, waving both flags, red carpet entrance, United States flags, Vatican flags on the White House lawn. Again, flying both of them together in Washington, D.C. And then when John Paul II died, American presidents current and, or president, uh, that were current at that time and past went to the funeral, as well as dignitaries from all the parts of the world. And again, I'm not saying that's bad, good, different. Just that this power that lost its power, the Bible predicted, would lose its power, would gain a worldwide influence. And even the nation that was originally a Protestant nation, swallowing up the persecution from this very power, would be foremost in going across and grabbing hands and joining with this power. All the world, all presidents have met with the Pope. Interesting, they always wear black, almost always wearing black, and the Pope wearing white, so Reagan and his wife Nancy, Ronald Reagan, and the Clintons, and the Bushes, both Bushes, 
and the Obamas in the White House itself, and President Trump on his first international tour of nations, the Vatican was on that itinerary, and he stopped at the Vatican. And just uh, and then uh, the Pope just recently spoke to Congress. I think he's the only religious leader that I know of that has spoken to all of Congress, which is kind of interesting. I couldn't think of any. I, I, I looked at the search. Uh, Billy Graham ever spoke there, and nothing came up with that. So I think he's the only religious leader who's been able to address all of Congress. And again, I'm not saying that's bad, good, indifferent, but you put that in contrast to 1951, <laughs> protesting him trying to get an ambassador for President Truman to inviting him to speak to all of Congress with standing ovations. Times have changed. So it is very possible for this nation to work with and endorse that power. And just this week, Vice President Pence was at the Vatican. Why are all these nations? Why all these, Putin, Russia, all these nations? Castro, all these nations, communist, Muslim, Protestant, Jewish, why do they all go to the Vatican? Why do they all feel a need to go to the Vatican? It's what the Bible predicted. All the world would wander after the beast and say, who is like this? Such an immense power, such influence. We need to go there. We need to go there and speak with him. We need to go there and talk to him about Israel's invasion of Lebanon. We need to go there. We need to, whatever they talk about. Pence was invited after his visit with the Pope on a tour of the Vatican. They took him into this room here. And when we did Daniel 11, if you missed it, you can see that on shalomadventure.com. The search, just type in Daniel 11. And uh, you'll see, we discussed this room where the Pope meets often and talks often. And they take him through this room and there's paintings on the walls of Catholics slaughtering Protestants. One picture of uh, the uh, Huguenot leader dragged out of bed, thrown out of a window. See him there, almost naked, thrown out of the window with his bed sheets, where he was killed. And then they took his wife, not in the picture, but they took his wife. Historically, they took his wife, who was pregnant. She begged them not to kill the child, let the child be born, then kill her if they want. They killed her. In dying, she gave birth to the child. They took the child and killed the child. Slaughtered thousands. It's known today as the Bartholomew Massacre. And that's painting, a painting of that, a couple paintings of that scenes displayed in this building, in this hall. Huge, huge things. No repentance, no apology. No, take that down. We've changed. We're no longer like that. Take that painting down. Replace it with some other beautiful painting. No, and have no problem bringing dignitaries and presidents and vice presidents and others into that room and showing off these magnificent paintings. It's magnificent history. Very interesting. I don't know if they explained all the pictures. I don't know if Vice President Pence or any of the others knew what that picture is. But again, we describe it in, in that Daniel 11, or you can look and find that information out on your own. It's very readily available, not hidden.
Today, the Supreme Court, made up of nine justices, five of them are Catholic, one of them, Gorsuch, replaced the Catholics, so there were six Catholics, and he himself was raised Catholic and is today a Presbyterian, um, but from what I read, they said they're not even sure whether or not he really even leans Catholic or, 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 or Presbyterian uh, in his views. So really kind of a five and a half, if not six, Catholics on the Supreme Court. The other three are Jewish, which is very interesting in light of the history of the Supreme Court, where over the history of the Supreme Court, 80% of the justices were always Protestants. That's right, 80% were Protestant. And yet today, not one Protestant, or maybe a half Protestant, or one Protestant at most, out of the whole nine Supreme Court justices. So less than 10% today, in today's Supreme Court, when the history is 80%. Now we can say, oh, it's a conspiracy theory. Well, you know, there's three Jews. <laughs> Uh, but again, I'm not saying this is good, bad, or that any of these justices are good or bad or saved or not saved. That's not the issue. Again, I'm just trying to show how the sentiment in America has changed from a point where mass protests that the president couldn't even appoint an ambassador, that no one would even know his name, no one would even see, no one would even think about. They would not allow that just in 1951 in our lifetime. And yet today we allow the majority of the court to be Catholic and to be, you know, again, majority uh, of the court Catholic. And again, I'm not saying that's bad, good, wrong, different. That's just the sentiment has changed dramatically so that this prediction of this prophecy can easily take place. And a statement from not that long ago, 1909, from a Catholic journal, the Western Watchman, when she, she, the Catholic Church, when she thinks it good to use physical force, she will use it. Not talking just in the past. This is again 1909. This is, this is after 1798, after it lost its power, still hasn't regained its power at this point. The deadly wound wasn't healed, but it's still saying, even in our position of not having all this power like we used to have, not having a worldwide following at this point, still, when we want to use force and we need to use force, we will use it, physical force, as we had in the past, it's indicating, with the tortures against heretics. Again, still having the paintings in the walls in the Vatican. Not changed. And again, we're not talking about individuals. Any individual all the way to the Pope or anywhere across the board could be saved. That's not our discussion. That's not for us to do, to judge, to condemn. But just a power that has been used, that's described in prophecy, that we do these things and play a role in last day events. So the United States and, getting even closer to our day, the United States and Catholicism working together. In, uh, in August 7th, 1914, Francis calls for action as Iraqi Christians flee, forced to flee. After a sweeping advance by radical Islamic militants, His Holiness addresses an urgent appeal to the international community to take action 
to end the humanitarian tragedy now underway. This was written by Reuters. Reuters is not a Catholic um, magazine or news agency. Uh, and yet it calls the Pope His Holiness. I don't know of any retraction of that. I don't know any, uh, any letter to the editor coming from the Vatican. No, 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 you don't call him His Holiness. There's only one who's holy. There's only one that's good, and that's God. Don't refer to him that way. That'd be blasphemy. Don't do that. No, no, they accept that title, Holy Father. They accept His Holiness without question. So still continuing with the blasphemous, receiving of blasphemy. So he calls for, on August 7th, for the international community to take action against the Islamic State. The very next day, August 8th, Obama says, America is coming to help. <laughs> so the Vatican speaks and America moves. International community needs to take action. Again, not saying it's bad. It's good that the Islamic State was taken, uh, taken out. It's good that action was taken against it. Not saying that's good, bad, again, different. But it's interesting that the Vatican spoke one day, the very next day, the U.S. takes action. Didn't take action on its own before that. Not until the Vatican first spoke. Then the United States came to its assistance. And we look at the persecutions that we read about during the Dark Ages. The Vatican doesn't have an army. It doesn't have an army of its own. It's used other armies, other people's armies, to do its bidding. The Spanish Inquisition, by the Spanish Crusaders. Right? So it's used other nations' powers, other nations' military, to bring about its force, its will. And so here, we're seeing that take place again. It calling, America taking action. That same year, November 17th, 1914, Jihadi John, a Islamic State militant terrorist, Heading people on camera for YouTube said to Obama, the dog of Rome, with all his permission, we will break this final and last crusade. And he got bombed and is dead. Fire came down and psh, he was gone. Um, and the crusade is over as far as the Islamic State. Well, Islamic opposition will continue. Again, as we studied in Daniel 11, in the last great battle. But it's interesting, he calls Obama the dog of Rome. In the United States, the world power. The one who brought an end to the Islamic State. The one who brought an end to Jihadi John. He's not just Obama. He's not just America he's condemning. In his view, and obviously the view of the Islamic State, that the United States was subservient to Rome. That Rome is calling the shots, and Obama in the United States is just the dog of Rome. Go sick him, and the dog goes and sicks him. President of the Turkish President Erdogan says these measures are leading to the world towards a war between the cross and the crescent. He said that in June 10th, 1918, in reference to something different, not the Islamic State. But it's interesting, he's saying that uh, there's going to be a war between the cross and the crescent. And that might be the very thing that brings together the United States and Vatican again, as it did against the USSR. So uniting of forces, it could be again in a, a battle against the Islamic uh, nations, the war, Muslim war against, uh, against the West. It could be what takes place. It could be, again, that's all future. Uh, I doubt very far into the future. We don't know how far. 
It's not a time prophecy for it. Sometime in the future, the United States will ally itself even more closely with Rome and force worship of its decrees. And this could be what causes it to happen. Could be something else too. So the United States will go from its freedom of worship, lamb-like, like we experience today and have experienced for over 200 years, this wonderful, wonderful nation, God bless America, to a forced worship system, a dragon-like, beast-like nation. Speak like a dragon. It will change. Revelation 13, verse 13 and 14, he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven in the sight, uh, in the, on the earth in the sight of men. And that could be, again, the Hiroshima bomb, fire on coming down. Could be, again, like Jihadi John, blast him away, or Suleimani, a drone senses fire. Mar people marveling, oh my, what, what power it has, influence to target such a way. That could be what the Bible was describing. Again, 2,000 years in advance, God showed this to John. But fire also could be the disciples were anointed with fire and filled with the Holy Spirit. So it could be the revivals, spiritual revivals, or even false spiritual revivals that start in the United States and have spread to parts of the world as well. So that could be what it's describing here too, one of those two. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. And so the first beast is in awe. Wow, this power has the power to do these things. And all who dwell on the earth, verse 8, Revelation 13 still, all who dwell on the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life. So all the world, all the world, will wander after the beast's power. Who is like unto the beast? including the United States, will come and pay homage. Again, we'll get into how, the details of that on another week. The Bible will describe that for us. Everyone whose names are not written in the book of life. So that's the important thing for us. We need to have our names in the book of life. Otherwise, we'll be deceived. Again, it's not going to come around like a dragon when uh, Satan tempted Eve. It was a beautiful Snake with wings and speaking soft things and nice things. Not coming again as horrible looking and scary looking that she ran away. But drawing her in. When Satan tempted Yeshua in the wilderness, he quoted the Bible. Offering him good things. You're hungry? Why don't you eat? Here, I'm here to help you out. And so again, it won't come across as horrible. We think of uh, in the book of Esther. Here, Persia, used by God, Cyrus, to let us go back to Israel and build Jerusalem, and Darius and Artaxerxes help finance it and encourage the building of Jerusalem. And yet within that, a Hamas, a, a Haman, comes along. And overnight, things change. We become a persecuted people all over again. People even sitting at the king's gates, Mordecai at the gate, so positions of influence in the government and other places, other positions in the country with freedom, overnight, that taken away. And, interesting from that story, which might apply to last day events, 
the leader thought he was doing good for the nation. He didn't realize what Haman's plot was. He was a good king. He was married to Queen Esther. And he signs the degree. He goes, yeah, here's my ring. Go ahead. He goes, I trust you. And so in this last events, people will be deceived. Thinking they're doing God's service. Thinking this is a good thing. Thinking this is going to help the nation. Thinking this is going to help the world. Thinking this is going to bring world peace. Thinking this is going to stop world suffering. Stop the disasters. or Whatever it might be. That the world comes together. In unity together. For a common cause. And unites. But there's a group that doesn't fit with it. And becomes the persecuted ones. Again, it can come across innocently, not necessarily like a Hitler. It can come across people thinking they're helping God out, doing God's service. Even unaware of what's happening, like the king, Queen Esther's husband. Revelation 13, verse 16 and 17 says, He causes that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the beast. We'll get into the mark of the beast another week. That's where he uses this sanctioning ability. And again, we see the United States doing it, often good things. Sanctioning Iran right now, bringing it to its knees so it cannot build a nuclear bomb to destroy Israel and other parts of the world. It's a good thing. But the United States has that influence. I don't know if any other nation in, in history has had that much financial influence to tell the nations of the world, you cannot buy from that nation anymore. You cannot buy its oil, you cannot do trade, you cannot do anything with that. And not only to nations, to its leaders, to people within its government, to lock up its bank accounts. That, but the United States has that influence. Predicted 2,000 years in advance. That it would say no one could buy or sell to this group, to this nation, to Iran or to whoever. Put an embargo on Cuba, has uh, done, and tariffs. But the United States fits that, has done that. And uses it very effectively. And again, I'm not saying it's good, bad, they're different than it does it. But it does it, and the Bible predicted it. And that very same ability that's already in place will be used to say that those who have not received the mark of the beast, those who have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, will not be able to buy or sell. And in our day and age, we can see how easily that can be enforced. We're almost on a cashless society already. Easily lock up your credit card at the turn of a switch, push of a button, and lock up your credit card. You can buy one thing in the morning, and that afternoon, they lock it up, and you're not able to buy anymore. The internet won't be able to, easily done. Online shopping, easily change overnight. Probably no other time in Earth's history that that would be so easy to enforce and do. And again, the world's going to think this is great. So again, I don't think it's going to look horrible on the surface. And it causes as many as who would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Dragon-like. Using force. Financial force. Financial pressure. And threatening of killing. If you do not receive the image of the beast. Or the mark. Image and mark. Interchangeable. And again, we'll get into that on another week. From Revelation 13, verse 7, and it was granted to the beast to make war with the saints. So war, bloodshed, killing, threatenings. Revelation 12, verse 17, 
the dragon was enraged, went to make war with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Yeshua the Messiah. In Revelation 12, 14, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua the Messiah. So we have the contrast. God's people, the woman, keep the commandments of God and have faith in Yeshua the Messiah. And have patience, and it takes patience, endurance, because we're being persecuted because they make war against us. The dragon was enraged and makes war with the rest of our offspring. So we want to be part of that group. We want to be part of God's woman. We want to be part of those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith in Yeshua the Messiah. Those two key characteristics and other ones that the Bible describes. We want to be part of that group and not fall for the mark of the beast. Not follow the beast power. Regardless if we can eat, regardless of whether or not we live or get killed, we want to follow the Lord. And that's why this is an important chapter to us to understand because as we follow the Lord, we need to know what we're coming up against. So we'll be able to stand. We won't be surprised. And we'll make our choice now, tonight, today, here, to make our decision to follow the Lord, that we will follow, though no one else follows, though it causes death, no matter what it is, I choose, Lord, today, with clear thinking, in times of peace, hold me fast at that time. Hold me fast through the pressures of that time. To not yield, to not fall. To not be forced. And we saw the force, again, during the Dark Ages, forced conversions of Jews, forced under pain of death, bow down to the cross on the sword or the uh, the cross on the shield or the sword will cut off your head. Forced conversions. Won't be able to buy or sell, be expelled out of the nation. This is what this power has used. Not the United States, but the first power. But again, it's the United States that will give power to that nation. To again enforce its ways upon the world. But there will be a remnant who will stand forth and will not yield. Let's pray tonight. That God holds us fast. That we have the tenacity and the firmness to stand in that day. By God's grace. By God's power. Because of the decisions we make tonight. The decisions we make today. Here. Now. And if that's your desire. To be a commandment keeper. Yeshua follower. Be God's people. Regardless if all the world says we're wrong. All the world follows the beast. That's your decision. And let's pray together. And let God seal our names in his book of life. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we're thankful for the martyrs who've led the ways before us, who stood for the truth down through the ages. Prophets were killed by godly people. Reformers were killed by professed godly people. And then you're predicting here it'll happen again. And so, Lord, we choose to follow you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Remove out of us all weakness, all leanings to this world, all holding on to this world, all holding on to riches and, 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 and our lives and our health. We surrender it all to you. If you choose to take it all away, and even our lives, we'd rather have our names written in your book to keep your commandments, to have faith in you, 
and have prosperity for life here. And so seal us now and hold us fast for the events that will take place in our history. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.